This is a huge issue for people coming to know Jesus, the belief that Christians are hypocrites, both historically and in today's context. It's true, we can look at history and see examples where the church has done terrible things to people. And it's important as Christians that we own that and realize that it's history, that there's fact behind it. But at the same time, we have to realize that over the years, those numbers, those facts have been exaggerated. It's important that we separate the truth from the myth around these events. You're listening to Mountain View Church Audio. My name's Jeremy, and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Each week, we bring you a fresh message designed to help you encounter Jesus through biblical instruction. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. We're just glad you're here. Yeah, so if you're with us for the first time this week, we've been going through a series called Challenges to Christianity. We're using Mark Clark's book, The Problem of God, as a guide on a series of difficult issues and topics. And so we've been working through that. And as well as Mark Clark's books, we also use the Bible to help us see what um, Scripture says about these difficult issues. And as we view the Bible as the ultimate authority in our lives and where we go for our guidance and direction. So what's the deal with hypocrisy? Why are we devoting a Sunday morning to looking at this issue? Why does Pastor Mark spend a whole chapter discussing hypocrisy? Well, Barna Group did a survey um, among non-Christian people who had asking what were some of the biggest barriers to Christianity. And um, hypocrisy was listed as the third highest issue behind only homosexuality and the the belief that Christians themselves are judgmental. Uh, Can I get the next slide, please? Thanks. And so, this is a huge issue for people coming to know Jesus and coming to even wanting to come to church is the belief that Christians are hypocrites both historically and in today's context. And it's true, we can look at history and see examples where the church has done terrible things to people, caused the loss of life of hundreds of thousands of people. And it's important as Christians that we own that and realize that it's history, that there's fact behind it. But at the same time, we have to realize that over the years, those numbers, those facts have been exaggerated. And it's important that we separate the truth from the myth around these events. And so we're just going to dive right in. We're going to be looking at the Crusades to start with. Uh, So what were the Crusades? The Crusades were a series of battles fought between Christian Western Europe and the Turks in the Middle East, uh, an Islamic people group. These battles were fought over the Holy Land, which was a section area in the Middle East that consisted of Syria, Palestine, Egypt, and the Anatolia area. And, yeah, so... There's a mandate by the church to retake this land because of its roots with the early Christian church. This is the region where Christianity first grew and um, 
developed. It's important also to real, understand the culture at this time of Europe being culturally Christian. So at this point, the church has a lot of authority. There's no separation between church and state. And so the church kind of guides both government and civilian life. And we see that even the lives of, even if someone isn't a Christian, they're impacted by Christianity in the fact that they may not have that personal faith, but because of the authority of the church, they're guided morally by um, what's taught in scriptures and by the authority of the church. And so we see, as a result, there's these conflicts that come up between them and Turks. And Pastor Mark Clark goes on to talk about this in his book. Um, He says, Europe would wage its war under a Catholic banner, and because of this, people conclude that the Crusades are an example of Christianity trying to expand by way of the sword. But this was simply not the case. Many of these fights were, nation- were political and na- nationalistic battles, not religious ones. <clears throat> he goes on to say, This was not about the advancement of the kingdom of God and the heartfelt conversion of people to Jesus, but the expansion of European rule draped in a vaguely Christian exoskeleton. So what he's pointing to is that this cultural Christianity makes it seem like this was um, something that the church should have undertaken that this was okay in the eyes of scripture. But the reality is, is that this was Europe advancing Europe's agenda and not reaching out to further the gospel as was taught by Jesus. And so we see um, we see that that historically causes conflict in our understanding there and the fact that we can look at this historically and say Jesus didn't teach, wouldn't have advocated for this action. And with the cultural Christianity at the time, recruiting people would have been easy as the church only has to say, this is what should be done. And people would do it because they figured following the church keeps them right with God. And one of the biggest pulls was that if people served in the Crusades, they could have all their wrongdoing wiped clean. So if they had committed crimes, if they had, were living in sin, they could make themselves right in the eyes of man and in, in, and in the eyes of God through serving in the Crusades. <clears throat> and so we see Like I said, the whole idea of the Crusades is counter to what Jesus taught. Jesus came in humility. He came not to set up an earthly kingdom to be served and to rule over people as an earthly king. He came in humility and went to the poor and the marginalized. And if we look at Mark 10, 42 to 45, Jesus says, um, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see that Jesus imitates for us how to live. He shows us that we're to be servants of the people so that people can come to faith in him. And, yeah. And so it's important when we look at history to look at not just the actions of the church, but what Jesus taught his people, how Jesus taught his people to live. And so we're going to move on to the witch trials now. And the witch trials occurred in Europe and in Salem, Massachusetts. And Carl Sagan says, No one knows how many supposed witches the church killed altogether. Perhaps hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions. That's a big variety the big disparity in numbers. Hundreds of thousands to millions is a big gap. There's not that accuracy there. Um, historically, we see that there are forty to 60,000 witches or women killed who are supposed witches. And 25 in Salem, Massachusetts, with what history doesn't tell us is that 20% of the people who were killed in these trials were men and as when a woman was arrested, oftentimes they take the whole family and bring them into custody too. And so um, it's important again to understand where the culture's at in understanding why these happened. So the church still has influence within Europe and within culture, but there's also this wide-held belief in magic and superstition. People are, have not yet been able to explain why certain things happen. This pre-understanding of like a lot of scientific processes and people are looking for explanations as to why bad things happen and why certain people's families get sick and die and others remain healthy. And one of the things that came out was that there's this belief that people were falling into devil worship and as a result they would become witches and were able to um, influence and execute power over their lives through magic and could affect the way other people's lives through magic as well. But in reality, we see that these people were not driven by a love of Christ for other people, but were driven by superstition and fear of what they couldn't explain and what they didn't understand. And often the people who were accused of witchcraft were poor people or marginalized people who um, just people weren't understanding of them. And you see that it didn't take much for people to be convicted of witchcraft. Really, you could throw together, a, you basically just had to say, hey, I think my neighbor's a witch, and this is my poor reasoning why. Um, and people would be taken in and imprisoned and tortured and killed But we see that, again, this is not something that's driven by a faith in Christ. This is driven by people's misunderstanding and fear and their superstition at the time and being influenced by um, 
culture. And, and so we see that from the, throughout the Crusades, the Inquisition, and the witch trials, a number of 200,000 to 250,000 people lost their lives as a result of what Christians did to them. And so people may ask the question, so aren't we better off with, without God in our society, without Christianity or religion as a whole, impacting our, uh, governing our societies, forming us morally, and shaping what we believe? But we only need to look at the last hundred years or so to see that a secular atheist society is not the answer either. Um, And Mark Clark says, when God is removed from a society, deity as organizing principle doesn't just disappear, but gets replaced with other ideas that drive behavior because humankind is relentlessly religious. Adam Smith made the market the driver of history. Freud replaced God with sex as the answer. Marx replaced God with the state. And Nazi Germany deified and mythologized race and the motherland to a quasi-divine state. So what we see is that humans as a whole are created to have something. They're looking for something to govern them and lead them. And when we take out God from that, we see that it's replaced by an ideal or or an idea that takes the, holds the authority of what God would hold. And so we can look only to the last hundred years and see the results led by, um, of these carried out. So we see Hitler killed six million Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, etc. The Khmer Rouge killed two million of their own people. Stalin killed 20 million through mass slayings and labor camps. Mao exterminated an estimated 50 to 70 million of his own people. So you see that in a secular atheist society where God has been taken out, there's an even larger loss of life. Over the last hundred or so years, we have, there's been 100 million people killed because in, within these societies and within, as a result of this belief. <clears throat> and it's ironic that the argument of a secular atheist as to why Christianity or religion shouldn't be within, shouldn't be used within society to govern or influence, is because of the loss of life that Christians have called throughout, caused throughout history. Which, grand total for 500 years, was 200 to 250 thousand over the Inquisition, Crusades, and the witch trials. While in the last hundred years, we've seen 100 million people lose their life to us secular atheist society. So if we have to own the loss of life that, they've ca- that we've caused as Christians, then the same has to be said for a secular atheist worldview. And the reality is, is that fundamentally there's an, a flaw in the foundation of secular atheism. Um, Mark Clark says, a central and foundational tenet of secular atheism informed by naturalistic Darwinism is the idea that only the fittest of a species survives, resulting in the killing and exclusion of weaker groups. <clears throat> so we see that with holding to this principle, there's the temptation to elevate one people group while dehumanizing other people based on 
what you believe to be value. So the popular example is Hitler with the Aryan race elevating them as the perfect people group while dehumanizing other people groups, which opens the door for these atrocities that have been committed against um, other people groups, whether they're disabled, they're different races. But we see this in itself is contrary to Christianity. Christianity is founded on the belief that we are all created by a creator, that we are all created with the same equal value regardless of our stance in life or race. Whether we're able, disabled, weak or strong, no matter what race we are, we're all of equal value within the eyes of Christ. And so we see that although Christianity has caused hurt and we have to own the fact that it has, removing God may not be the exactly be the answer to the pain that's caused, may not be a better solution. <clears throat> but why do Christians still appear to be hypocritical today? Why do we still see um, pastors have moral failings and fall and have to leave their church because of what they've done and fall into disgrace? Well, we see that Jesus actually saves one of his harshest sermons for the religious leaders of his times called the Pharisees. And he calls them out for living a life that is not indicative of who he is. And so we'll go to Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries, long, their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbis by other, by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Moving down to verses 25 to 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. <clears throat> so we see that Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders of his, time, of his time for living in a way that only produces outward fruit. They are worried about appearing like they have everything all together. They're focusing on the recognition that comes from their position as 
scribes or Pharisees and not focused on people coming to know God. They're only in it for their own personal gain. And so we see he calls them on that as they're not supposed to be living like that. They're supposed to be bringing people to know him. And um, we still see that. We still see pastors stumble, fall. Um, And historically, we can look at people. We can look and see that throughout the church, there are people who have been in leadership who are not following the Lord, who are not, who may not be Christians even. Um, and so it's important that as leaders in the church, as Christians, we show authenticity. Um, it's one of the things that in our vision statement, we focus on being an authentic church. And I think that's important for people to be able to see and to see the authenticity of Christians as not being a barrier so that we appear, so that we are more approachable and we don't, aren't looked at as hypocrites. But the reality is, is that there are leaders within the church and within Christianity as a whole who do live hypocritical lives, whose goal is not to further the gospel, but to build themselves up. And the reality is, is that we're going to have people who are come to know God in prisons and who are going to be in heaven. And at the same time, we have leaders of the church who are deceiving people and who aren't going to make it. And so why do we have hypocrisy in church? Part of it is some people aren't Christians. People aren't Christians. They don't truly have the life-changing relationship with Jesus. Um, we also have people in our church who are seeking. We have people who are, un- are unsure about Christianity and what Christians believe and are coming to church to find out. Maybe they've been invited by a friend. Maybe they've just decided that they want to investigate on their own. And to the outside, people, if someone were to walk in the door and look at everyone sitting here, they may assume that everyone in here is a Christian. But the reality is, is that there are people sitting here who are looking for answers. And so we need to understand that um, there are those people within our church as well. And there are people, and the reality is is that for Christians, we may be faithfully devoted to Christ and we may be Christians for the majority of our lives, but that doesn't take away the burden that sin is for us. Whether we've been a Christian for three years or 30 years, there's a weight that comes with sin. And we see so often that that can, that hurt, that people who, the people experienced before they came to faith, um, it can be slow to heal and um, takes time to move past. And sin is something that you have to continuously put off and you have to, we have to rely on Jesus. This is why Jesus came. So that he could bear our burdens of of our sins to the cross and die for us. We have the whole representation of the fact that we can't do it without Jesus. If we look to the Old Testament, we see the people of Israel were God's chosen people and they couldn't do it. And they continuously dropped the ball. And we as Christians and the church, we dropped the ball. And that's why we need Jesus, whether we 
believe or not, everyone needs Jesus because without him we can't do this. He is our way to salvation and it's through him that we are saved and through him that our burdens have been and sins have been forgiven by his death and sacrifice on the cross. And through that, um, we have been redeemed. And so, as we go into a time of reflection and worship, we're we want to we're going to take up an offering. And if you feel like you want to give, that's fine. But please don't feel obligated to give if you're not if you don't feel called to. Um, also, we're going to sing. And if you feel like you just want to sit and pray, please also feel free to do that. And um, yeah, let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning and for the opportunity we have to gather and to hear from your word. I just pray that you would continue to guide us, Lord, that you would be our strength and our um, guide in lives. God, that you would bear our burdens, that you would forgive our sins, whether it be hypocrisy, lust, greed, whatever it may be, whatever we're dealing with, God, you are big enough and you are strong enough and you have redeemed us from those things, God. I just pray that um, the gospel would take root in our hearts and that your word would go forth, Lord, and that you would um, continue to further your kingdom, Lord. You've been listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If God has used this message to impact your life today, I'd love to hear about it. Drop me a message at Jeremy at Mountain View whitehorse.ca or on your favorite social network at Pastor Jeremy Norton. To get connected with Mountain View Church or to support Mountain View Ministries through a financial gift, please visit mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's mountainviewwhitehorse.ca.